Good morning, Midland Free. Those of you who know me say, what in the world is this guy doing with a hammer? (laughs) You'll find out. Don't worry. Yes, yes. Rick is discipling me in the art of construction, but I'm a difficult uh, project. Hey, my name is Jeremy. Welcome here. We're glad you're here to worship with us today. Um, This week, I was uh, struck pretty heavily taken aback by a country song that came on during uh, one of my workouts. And I was uh, just, you know, going along and enjoying the time. And all of a sudden, this uh, song called My Old Man by Zach Brown came on. And I don't know if it was like deja vu or memory lane or what, but you guys know that a while back, my dad passed away. And certainly, I would never call him my old man. It would be dad or whatever. It's a respectful title. It certainly wouldn't be like this. But it was interesting because it it sort of, he walks through these paces of life where he begins as a child sort of imagining what his thoughts would have been. And he remembers thinking of his dad as this giant who always did everything right and could fix anything and knew the answers to everything and always had a plan. And he just looked up to him like this massive, colossal figure. And certainly I identified with that. And then he also recalls a bit poetically looking at his dad and seeing the calluses and the, the you know, dusty overalls and the car hearts and the hard exterior and the soft interior. And he, he walks through this process of being a little kid and sort of looking up at dad and saying, man, that is what I want to be. I know there's a lot of different experiences in here, and some of us may have fathers that, or may not have even had a father, and we look, so we may or may not look up to them in the same way this song relates. But I know this. Early on, what happens is children begin to develop their identity from their family of origin. So simple things initially, like Hair color, eye color, language, culture, etc. All of that is being passed down from the family of origin to the child. And as the child grows, they sort of grow into that identity. They, they search and try to discover and figure out where do I fit in this picture. And as you know, each family has different values. You know, for example, there might be the sports family where Dad is an athlete and mom's an athlete. And they're like, okay, our kids are going to be athletes. That's what we do. And of course, kid comes out and they're artsy or something. I don't know. But whatever it is, whether it's athleticism or it's education or it's the work ethic or whatever it is, each family sort of has their own genre or their culture. And they say, this is what we do. And this is how we operate. And this is the subculture of our family within our larger culture. And I think what that shows us is that children take in large measure their identities from their parents for good or for ill. We all start out learning something from our places of origin. This plays in heavily into how we develop and who we become. And so I want to ask the question today, then what then is our ultimate identity? We all have this sort of family of origin identity, something that we naturally get and is passed down to us. And we sort of process as we grow and decide how much to keep and what to discard. But what is, is there even an identity that transcends our earthly family? Is there a place that we can look to that is more important even than that? And if so, 
how then do we lean in or live out that identity? So the two questions then that I want to ask to you today are these. Here's an outline, a picture of where we're going. The first is this. It's basically the who and the how. Like, who are we? And then how do we do it? But said in outline form, it looks like this. It's the who and the how of our ultimate identity. Who are we? And how do we live it out? For everybody in this room, I mean, our families are different. Some of you may be related, and perhaps I don't even know how many people are related. But we are more than likely all from very different backgrounds and very different places, very different subculture families. But how do we as a group now in this body, in this family at this time, how do we live? Is there a culture? Is there a family? Is there an identity that transcends even our families of origins? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 2 says this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's it. That's our whole sermon passage for today and what's happening is we've gone through chapters one through four now we're transitioning into five and six and really what this is is this these verses are a summary of chapters one and two one and two gives this big macro plan of our identity and everything that god is doing from the foundations of the before the foundations of the earth into eternity now he's saying okay let's put this where the shoe leather meets the ground let's put this very much in in your camp and say, okay, how does this look in real life? And he's saying, therefore, based on all of this, based on what we've looked at before, here is your idea. Key to this passage, and I have to say this very, very carefully. I'm going to try my very best to enunciate this. The key to this passage is two words, and those two words are the two as is. The two as is. The key to this passage is the two as is. And the first one is this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as, as beloved children, as beloved children. So what happens is this, then the apostle Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. That's why the book is called Ephesians. So he's assuming that the people who have read this letter are believers in Jesus Christ. Now that could be to a very small group of people. And I know I'm speaking to a larger group of people. So I don't want to assume the same things. And we want to make it clear that what this means when he says beloved children, it's not the same as Oprah who says, yes, we're all children of God. It's actually very distinct, very defined and very exclusive. What the Bible teaches is that not Everyone is naturally a child of God. In fact, in our natural state, we are far from God. Just living as we would, we are moving away from him. In fact, the Bible says earlier in this book that we're dead, that we're not even related, that we're not even living. There is no existent relationship between us and God. But what happens is this, when Jesus comes and lives the perfect life, Jesus God's son comes and lives a perfect life. He is able to do everything we can't. 
And as a result, what he does is he takes our place. He says, I will do what they could not. Father, if you will accept my life in place of theirs, I will offer it to you as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. And then Jesus dies on the cross. God the Father raises him from the dead. And then he ascends to heaven. And so in that process, what he does is he provides for us a way or a means of being what Christians call born again. You've probably heard this label at different spots being born again. The original conversation is between Jesus and a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter three. And he's walking it out and he starts with this guy who knows like all the scriptures. He can quote it. He, Left and right, upside down, backwards and forward. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? How in the world is that going to happen? Can a man really go into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus does this a lot. He talks about living water. He talks about bread of life. He talks about all kinds of crazy terms. that makes people go, oh, I got to stop and think. I need to listen to this guy. He's saying something for real here. It's different. It doesn't make sense right away. But maybe if I lean in a little, I'll get it. So I'm asking you this morning just to lean in a little and I think you'll get it. And the thing is, is this. Being born again is that. Spiritually, but not physically. What happens is you're born physically into a physical family. And you begin to take your identity from that family. And you say, okay, now I'm like this. Or now I speak like this. Or now I eat this. Or now I do that. And that's your identity. But what Jesus says is, in fact, yes, that that's something but that's not everything what's more important than you were born is whether or not you're born again and if you believe in jesus's death burial and resurrection then just like he died and was raised to new life so too shall you be and that's because inside you have been born again born again means spiritually what happens is just like you were born into a physical family you are now born into a spiritual family And when you were born, let's be clear about this. You had no part in that whatsoever. Is that true? Somebody did a lot of work so that you could come into the world. It's kind of a joke. It's okay. (laughs) I don't know. Somebody in that room was working really hard, but it wasn't you. So too, spiritually, look, Jesus gave his life for you so that you could be born. And as a result, you come into God's family. And when you come into God's family, just like when you come into an earthly family, you begin to take on that identity. You don't figure it out necessarily right away. You're not perfect. You don't know everything about Jesus. You still got a long ways to go. You're growing. You're a babe in Christ. But that is your new identity. And that identity and that family, that value system, that way of speaking, that way of interacting, that way of living is supposed to transcend and trump everything else you ever learned from your other family. So if your other family's values match with that, okay, fine, keep them. But more than likely, there's going to be things that you say, okay, in my family, we did this, and it really wasn't so healthy, and I'm going to have to dump that and start doing this. Why? Because I'm part of a new family now. And my family isn't limited now to my biological blood, people who look like me and talk like me, but instead I'm born into the universal, the the universe, the mysterious, the worldwide church. And as a result, anybody who believes in Jesus is born again, is born into the same family I am, regardless of skin color, language, culture, political preference, ethnicity, whatever. We're all in one family. 
And the way we talk now is as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's going to look a lot different than the families of our earth, the tribes, the clans, the hate, etc. So therefore, the first thing we recognize from this is that we are born again. It assumes you are beloved children. It assumes that you have believed in Jesus. It assumes that you have a new and changed life, that you're part of a new family. You're born into a new household. And what's really cool about that, this last week, or not too long ago, I was at the Gospel Coalition, and Tim Keller, again, he, he says, what being born again is, and you have to listen carefully to hear this, he says it's God's future coming into our present. Not in its entirety, but in actuality. So in other words, what you will be someday perfect like Christ has been initiated in seed form in your heart now. And that thing is growing. It is expanding. And it is the same power, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead and is able, Ephesians chapter 1, to sum up all things in him. And so the same power that God is using to regenerate and remake the entire world is active and at work in your lives now. That's what it means to be born again. Born again isn't just, well, I changed my mind and now I'm going to try to do better. Born again is actual, real, redeeming, future life. The thing that God will use to remake the entire world has come into you now and it is at work and it is growing. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if I can explain it any better than that. It's somewhat mysterious, but the idea is that in the first sentence, the first phrase, really, he says, therefore, as beloved children, he is assuming that we are born again. So therefore, what is our identity? Number one, who are we? Who are we? Well, children, we are God's children. We are all children. None of us made it there. None of us are perfect. None of us are complete. We are all still growing in Christ. Therefore, as beloved children, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. This last week, when the weather got nice, my kids were anxious to get outside and get to the park. And so we decided to drive because we had a lot of stuff we wanted to pile in, whether it's Frisbees and other gears and basketball and bikes and yada, yada, yada. So we piled it all in the car and we were driving around the corner to go to Adams Elementary School. And along the way, I see this other fellow, this dad, uh, walking with a really little kid, a toddler. My kids are kind of out of that phase now, but I remember it still vaguely. And what I like to call those little kids are basically little poochie bottoms. I think they're little poochie bottoms. You know, I don't know if toddlers, maybe it's a more formal word, but I like the word little poochie bottom. And the reason is, is because their pants are like this long, right? And their legs are like that long, <laughs> But their bum bum is about that big. And then if you actually hold up the pants, what you notice is the bum bum extends like significantly. And the reason for that is. What? Diapers. Exactly right. I mean, you got to fit a lot of space in there. You got all that chubby, bubby, baby bottom. In addition to the diaper, they're little poochie bottoms. And, you know, they walk around like this and they just kind of waddle. And you watch the little poochie bottoms go boom, 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 like And that is funny. That kid is learning to walk. I mean, they're upright and they're moving and they're ready to go, but they're still kind of 
wobbly and toddly and tumbly. They're little poochy bottoms. But as they develop, what you see is this, is it's funny, that same person that they're walking next to, you know what they'll do eventually? They'll walk just like that person. Like you watch, it's ridiculous. You don't even have to know who those people are related or not. You can see them from far away and be like, oh, she walks just like her mom. (laughs) He walks just like his dad. I mean, their gait is the same. They pick up if someone's pigeon-toed, even if they're not pigeon-toed, they start walking pigeon-toed. I mean, you do everything. Like your mom and dad. You learn to walk like your mom and dad. We're all just a bunch of little poochy bottoms. Therefore, as beloved children, how do we live out our identity? Well, the text tells us that we walk in love. We walk as our heavenly father walked. Look, our father walks a certain way. And what the Bible tells us is that he walks in love. Now, for us in our culture today... I can use that term, but man, do I have to define it because our media wants to define it for us and it tells us it's everything but what the Bible says it is. The Bible has a very specific definition of love and it's very different from what our culture is saying. And what I think this text in particular is emphasizing today is not the romantic, not the ooey gooey, not the me first, what do I get, da 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 da, but instead it's the sacrificial portion. Look at Ephesians 5 2. See how it describes love. It says, walk in love. You're going to walk like your heavenly father as beloved children, imitating him. Then how do you walk? You walk in love as, there's the second one. Remember we said the as's are the thing in this verse. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what then is our family culture to look like? How are we to walk? What are the values and attributes that we are supposed to imitate? Is it sports? Is it education? Is it hard work? Well, if any of that is good, then continue it on and find whatever. But the overall dominant chief characteristic of all of our lives, regardless of all those other things, is to be love. This is to be the defining characteristic of the Christian life. The greatest of these is love, faith, hope, love, fruit of the spirit, patience, joy, peace. There's so many good things, but the greatest of these is love. Are you loving? Are you sacrificially loving like your heavenly father? Let me paint a little clearer picture of what that would look like. I'm just going to read you the verses because I don't think I can do any better than what the text has already supplied. Earlier, this said in Ephesians 5, 2, that we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a sacrifice for us. So how is that? How is that, Pastor Jeremy? Well, let me read it to you. The season is coming, and I want you to hear how Christ gave himself on your behalf. Matthew 27, verses 27 through 31, says... The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And as they gathered the whole battalion before him, they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. Kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, hail, king of the Jews. They spit on him and they took the reed and it struck him on the head. When they mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. 
And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now there was darkness in the sixth hour over all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? While the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Sacrificial love. Seems funny to make any silly sermon applications after that, doesn't it? What would I tell you that would even come close? Go and love your neighbor? Not like that. Give a little bit of money to missions? Whoop-de-doo. This is real. I don't know what else to say other than here it is. Here is real sacrificial love. Who are we? Well, we're dearly beloved children. Why? Because Jesus died for us to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be brought into the family of God. As a result of our adoption, we now have a new identity. And that identity is as dearly beloved. We are no longer slaves. We're no longer criminals. We are forgiven. We are justified. We are made right. We have a relationship with our father. We have all the rights and privileges now as would sons. We get to run into the throne room of God and say, daddy, daddy, please pay, pay attention. We're here. We are dearly beloved children. How do we live it out? Well, then we're supposed to love As God in Christ loved us. In other words, I think the answer to today's question is this. Who are we and what do we do? Well, we're God's children. And just like children imitate their parents, we imitate our father. And what we see in him is love. Sacrificial love. So God's children imitate him by showing his love. God's children imitate him. By showing his love. Can you remember that? It's all we're asking to do this morning. God's children imitate him. By showing his love. Dearly beloved as beloved children. Therefore imitate him. Walk as Christ walked. I do want to give you a couple illustrations. Not illustrations but applications. Specifically from our church. uh, Before I close. Because I know that. I could leave it really high and just say love is Jesus. And that's still like, whew, that's so high. When we know we all need to improve on that. There's no, none of us escapes that. And not me, not the Pope, not anybody. 
We all need to love better. But here are some specific things. You can do it in all kinds of individual ways. I'm telling I mean, in whatever way works for you, you take what you have from your family or your upbringing or your skill set and you use it. Doesn't matter if you're a dentist, a doctor, a floor cleaner or whatever, you use it to bless somebody else. But here's some specific things that we are doing at our church. I think most of us can probably be a part of. So as a church, we don't necessarily announce every little thing because we can't. There's gazillions. But there may be some specific things that are pretty universal that we want everything to be a part of. That's what these are. We're trying to give you ways to live out your faith. Versus this, next Sunday is... There is no more loving thing that you can do than tell somebody else about Jesus. There simply isn't. You cannot do anything more loving your entire life than give them the greatest gift ever. Jesus. You cannot do anything more loving ever than tell someone about Jesus. That is the most loving thing you can do. Anything you do will fall short of his love, but his love is perfect. And if you give them that love, you've given them the greatest gift you can. And so I would invite you to tell someone about Jesus. You know, best case scenario is you're actually saying, hey, here's who he is. Here's what he did. Here's this for you. But maybe you're not there yet. Or maybe that's a little bit scary. Maybe the relationship's not developed enough. I don't know. You can just invite them to church. Say, hey, I will tell them about Jesus. (laughs) If you bring them next week, I will do my very best to tell them about Jesus. I promise. So here's what we're doing as a church to try to help that. I have this bag here. It's a mystery bag. It's got all kinds of good stuff in it. One is a coffee cup full of candy. Take it or leave it. It's there. But here's the thing that I'm most excited about is this. There's a book in there. And it's not like war and peace, like tiny print every page. It's more like a devotional. It sort of summarizes the story of the Bible. And the idea is just to get the reader familiar with the plan of God and the purposes of Christ. And we don't have like thousands of these. We have like 25. And the reason is, is because we want to be intentional. So what we would like, if you're willing, if you're able to bring a friend, this is not necessarily something like carpet bombing, like you just go over and drop it on their front door and you hope that someone will read it. and Maybe something will happen. This is like there's 25. And so what we want is for you to bring that person here to church They hear the message, and then on the way out or on the way in, whenever it works for you, you take them by the Welcome Center over there, and you say, hey, we have a little gift for you. It's not marketing materials. You know, it's for real. We desire that you get to know Jesus, and this is our gift, and we'd like you to take it. And maybe in that way, there's a relational, personal connection, and you can follow up later after they've had a chance. Say, hey, what would you think? How did that impact you? Did you understand what you read? Is there anything you want to talk about? I'm here, I'm your friend, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to help. I want to bring you to Jesus. That's what we want with this bag. So they're there, they're back there. And we would love for you to bring somebody. And if you bring someone, just go back there, grab one, hand it to them, find them a seat, and get ready. And they will hear. So number one, Easter. Number two, oh, oh besides, beyond that, let's say you can't bring someone. Let's just say you really can't. Maybe it's hard for you to get to church or someone brings you to church. Okay. You can still super duper help with this because you know there are 25 bags out there. Would you pray over those bags? Would you pray that those bags go to somebody and they actually do pick it up and read it? I mean, 
There's a lot of people that I see struggling in the world, and there are some that are too far out for me to reach. I can't touch them, but I can pray for them. Like, I can't do this person's job, and I know they're really struggling in it right now, and it's super complex, and they're in a bad spot, and things have come down the pipe that are unfair, and this and that, but I can pray for them. I can't make their life easier. I can't give them a new job. I can't fix their problems, but I can pray. Every single person in this room can pray. It's just talking to God, and you can do that. And so I'd invite you to pray. So first is, if you can bring them, bring them by all means, but maybe even more important than bringing is praying. I don't want to give you out and say, oh, nope, now I guess I don't have to. (laughs) I want you to try. But if nothing else, pray over these bags, please. Pray over the people that will come. Pray. Pray. So that's Easter next week. The other one, the next reason is why I brought the hammer. Coming up not too long from now, we're going to have an all-church day of caring. We call it day of caring because we're actually going to go out and try to do something. We're going to have one worship service in the morning. The second worship service is everyone should be in here. So you guys are already set. You're ahead of the curve. You're ready to go. The other folks are going to have to get up a little early. And afterwards, our hope is that everyone who can will go out as a group out to the North Midland Family Center. And the Go Local team will have a list of different projects and houses. They'll have food. We'll pray, gather up, get a quick word of training, and go out and try to help people. Now, maybe you're holding this like I am, and you're like, okay, what ends up? What ends down? I don't know. Just go with someone who does, okay? They can say hammer, and you pick something up and hand it to them, and if it's not the right one, pick up the next one and try that. We're going to try to help. And if you can't, if you're not mobile, you can sit down, you can talk to people, you can pray with people. It doesn't have to be like you're carrying huge 50-pound sacks of cement on your shoulders, there will be something for you that you can help. We would love for everyone in our church to go out and be a part of our community on this day. We want to show God's love. We want to sacrifice. It's going to cost us something. We're not going to have our afternoon at home to sit on the couch and enjoy the ball game and rest the rest of the day. It's going to be a sacrifice. We're asking you to sacrifice. We're asking you to love like Jesus. Number one, Easter. Tell and pray. Number two, Go local, day of caring, go and serve. Now, so far, those have been external, right? I remember, I think I told you a few weeks ago, the church shouldn't be externally focused or internally focused. It should be others focused. So the first group of others that we looked at was outsiders, people who need the gospel, people who need to be brought in, people who need to be served. And the other group is insiders, people who are here because there's people here who are hurting and need love just as much. And so how do we do that? Well, I have another illustration somewhere nearby. Now, these I actually do know how to use. Fork and a knife. I'm actually pretty good at these. Not as good with chopsticks, but decent with these. And what you do with these is you eat. And so what we've decided to do this summer is eat. Now, I know, whoa, wow, that's profound, Pastor Jeremy. We've really got a brilliant pastoral team here. Way to go, guys. Well, the idea is this. It goes beyond eating. Um, because we know that our summer is often in transit, that a lot of people are doing different things, and it's hard to nail people down. We're not asking you for a six-month commitment or whatever during the summer to be here every week. What instead we're doing is at the beginning of the summer and at the end of the summer having two big events. The first event is on the front end, and the second end on the back end. On the front end, we're going to do a breakfast. On the back end, 
we're going to do a picnic lunch. So in, in June, there's the breakfast, and in August, there's lunch. Now, if that were it, what's the big deal? It's just a picnic. But here's the thing. In the first one, what we want is for, um, as you come in, what's going to happen is we're going to encourage that there will be a pastor, Christy Smith, will be sitting there, and she'll encourage you to go to a certain table. So we're hoping that you'll mingle with people you haven't met before. I know when we have one service, a lot of people are like, wow, I met someone who's been coming here for 15 years and I didn't even know them and they're so cool. I think we're going to be best friends. Great. We want to facilitate that. And so what we're going to do is have a breakfast that morning, totally provided, don't bring anything, come, enjoy, it's free. And then at the table, there'll be three questions. One is, I'm giving you a heads up so you can think about it in advance. You know the answers to the test. You're going to get this right, okay? Number one is, how did you come to Jesus? Number two is, um, how did you hear about or come to Midland Free? How long have you been attending? Anything around the Midland Free. And number three is, what is one thing you want to see God do in your life in the next year? And then you just sit down and you get to hear people's story. And they say, hey, I became a believer at this special junction. You're like, wow, that's so cool. How'd you hear about Midland Free? Well, da 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 And then what is one thing God wants to do in your life? And you get to build community and get to know the people that you otherwise wouldn't have come into contact to. One time. Just one time this summer. Not asking every week, breakfast. It's No. One time at, at this time. We're going to have we're going to have breakfast together. Our summer service will be at 10, so you have a little bit more time in the morning. So we want to come and get to know one another and love one another. Can't love it's really hard to love people you don't know. So that's the first one. And on the back end, the other one is this. It's going to be a picnic, but it's going to be in August, so it's going to be hot, so it's going to have a water theme. Now, it's not just squirt guns and water balloons, but we're actually hoping to do a few baptisms as well. And so we'll hear testimonies. It'll be outdoor baptisms, unlike today, which is an indoor. We'll be outside. There might even be a dunk tank. Who knows what will happen? And uh, definitely if there's a dunk tank, Pastor Chuck, no. There will be a dunk tank, I think. But it'll be fun. And even if you're not into all the water stuff, what we're hoping is you think about the point of these. The first one is family and community. And the second, and getting to know one another. And the second one is identifying with one another as a body. Baptism, the idea is that you are identifying with that family. You have believed in Jesus. You said, I want to be part of this. And so outwardly, externally, I'm going to show everyone else through this initiation rite that I am part of this family. That's what we want to do on that family day, that water day. We want to have some baptisms. And so if you are a dearly beloved child, but you have not identified with a family, then you need to be baptized. This is a great opportunity for you to say, yes, I am saved. I believe in Jesus, and I want other people to know, and I'm going in the dunk tank. Here we go. Three things coming up. The Easter, Go Local, Day of Caring, and the summer activities as well. Whether it's through serving, whether it's through eating, whether it's through praying or giving, we want you to live out your faith. To sacrificially love like Jesus. To walk as your father walks. We're a family. That's what we do. We love. The way this song closes out, Zach Brown talks about, you know, the stature of his father and how big he was and how he's always looking up to him. I mean, think about it. As a baby, you are looking up. You start looking up from moment one. Your eyes can't even focus and you are looking up. Boom. There's something. Who am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? You're taking it all in. Zach walks through that and he's 
he grows and eventually, even though he doesn't think of himself as a giant, one day he realizes, whoa, somebody's looking up at me. Like, I'm looking down now and the poochie bottom is my son. And there he is, waddling, toddling behind. I'm an adult. Whether you have children or not, people are looking up to you. And he describes, you know, his relationship with his dad again through the chorus. And then he begins to realize, wow, there's so much. And he says, now I finally understand. Got a lot to learn from my old man. And he talks about him some more. He says, you know, hey, I know we'll meet again. I hope he's proud. He's just trying to fill the boots of his old man. I think, man, wow. (laughs) There it is. You know, children, they, they look up to their parents. And I don't know where you're at in that circle. You know, whether you're a little one looking up or whether you're the old one looking at your grandkids or whether you're right in between or whether you're discipling other people. I don't know. But I want to ask this, where are you taking your identity from? Who are you and what are you doing? Dearly beloved, as God's children, imitate him and walk in love. Are you making your father proud? Father, we thank you. We can even call you Father. Only because of Jesus can we be born again, and we're so thankful for that. Suppose, Lord, there's many things we have to be ashamed of, and yet you and your grace forgive us and love us and call us your own. I'm thankful, Lord, that I can be part of your family. And I'm thankful that we have a family here at Midland Free. And I just pray for our family. Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to serve others. Help us to invite people in just like Jesus. In his name, amen.